welcome to this evening to another episode of Satya Sambhad. Today we'll be dealing with Bhakti, Bhav and Bhasha. Bhakti is an intense expression of intense relationship that one has with its Adi or its God. Bhakti is expressed in many ways. Every Bhakti has its own style, the language, the vocabulary. And today as we are we are gathering here, we will through the various aspects of bhakti, the language, the posture that are used in it. Bhakti is, an, is a mutual intense emotional attachment to the God, which has a language to express, which has a posture to express, and which has a different attitude to express. If we stand through the history, we will find this, the bhakti, Various bhakti movements have transformed societies or have contributed in developing the societies and primarily they have unsettled the spirituality from the religious norms or dogmatism. As today we gather, we will explore some of these aspects. We will be exploring from various historical accounts. We'll also be scanning the Mukti Ved. And if we look at from the Old Testament onward, when one encounters with truth a God, that is the whole heart bursts into a certain expressions. And one fine example which I find in, in the Old Testament when Saint Moses, when he encounters with God, his heart, it bursts into the praising God. And that kind of expression does not follow the religious hierarchy or norms. Further, if we go, we find Mother Mary the mother of Muktinath Yeshua, when she hears this story, that when she has the vision that she would be a mother, a virgin mother of God incarnated, without recognizing and realizing the challenges she would face in her life thereon, her heart bursts into praising God. She does not care what the future lies, but what she cares. Yes, there is a God who cares for her. And the God who looks at people with those who are meek, those who are lowly from the worldly standards. In our own history, if you look at the Bhakti movement, when Kabir, Tulsi, Sur, Meera and Rabidas, when they, in, in the medieval, in, in, between uh, uh, 12 to 15th century, if explore that, we will find the songs, they were, the poetry that they composed and sang, they challenged the religious hierarchy directly and majority of the places if you look at where the social revolution has come there has been a role of bhakti songs and poetry these these expressions do not follow a pattern but they break patterns and all of them they, they their songs are devoted to a person to 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 god who's a personal god and God who is expressed in various relationships, various forms. And, and, and they relate, uh, they express as a, as a lover to one. They express as a mother, as a father, as a brother, as a friend, and as a God. These bhakti poetries or poems, they offer enormous richness to worship God that we worship. And even the, the, the history of uh, uh, the, in, in, the, in the accounts of Mukti Ved, if you look at the various places, especially when the 
psalmist in Psalm 19, where he expresses, it's a, it's a, one of the most fascinating psalm, a song, we say the whole universe, how it worships the Lord. And most of these expressions were not budded or were not in pattern with the religious hierarchy of time. Today, we are here to explore that. And to explore, and in, uh, we have wonderful panel with us who is from India, uh, from now here to the West Coast. Their wealth of experience, their work will help us to explore this whole aspect of bhakti, bhav, and bhasha. Bhakti is a, is a devotional yearning. Bhav represents the attitude, the symbols, the expression, and the bhasha is the vocabulary and the language that is used. Let me introduce my extreme panel today who will be talking to us and leading us this wonderful hour and a half conversation. I have with me Dr. Basan Sresta. He was a professor of mission with SABC, Bangalore. He's married to Meera and blessed with three children, Namrata, Shraddha, and Dheeraj. His passion is to communicate the good news with his people. He loves satsang, bhajans, kirtans, spiritual discourses, especially adhyatmic pravachans. Dr. Basan lives in Bangalore at the moment. He helped from Nepal and he'll be talking to us not only the academic aspect of this, but also his own experiences. We welcome Dr. Basan Srishta into this conversation. I have uh, Dr. H.L. Richards with me. Dr. H.L. Richards joins me joins us from the extreme west. Dr. Richard is a well-known missiologist who understands Indian faiths and beliefs much better and deeper than many of us. Due to many years of his experience and research, he has lived in Nepal, in India for over 40 years, met his wife here, and there is their children here. He is an author of many books and articles focused on bhakti and indigenous expressions of discipleship. We welcome Dr. H.L. Richards to this second episode of Satya Sambhad. Dr. Basan, coming to you straight away, what is your understanding of bhakti? How you have experienced in your life thus far? Yeah, thank you, Satya, for this uh, wonderful uh, opportunity. And I'm really excited to uh, talk on these uh, topics. It's very close to my heart. Uh, well, I grew up in uh, a town in the mountainous uh, district in Nepal in a Newar tribe. It's a group, uh, mostly they live in Kathmandu, but also they are scattered in different uh, major cities or towns uh, in Nepal. And uh, we uh, have like, you know, 150 days of feasts and festivals in a year. So I grew up in that kind of uh, culture and uh, surrounding and every other day, every other week, some festival is there, some celebration going on. And uh, I grew up uh, doing puja in our own home. We have uh, one room uh, separated for a puja room where we had all the deities and their pictures and uh, images decorated and um, I was taught to, you know, uh, get up early in the morning in that cold mountain 
climate and uh, pour uh, water uh, over me, you know, as a ritual bath. And with that shivering, come to this room and sit there and open those small uh, booklets uh, written with uh, Sanskrit slokas and prayers. And then do other, you know, uh, the rituals like uh, agarbatti and lamp and uh, decorate with the petals. I mean, the usual, uh, you know, Hindu puja. I used to do that. I grew up with that tradition. And uh, that was a kind of a very nice feeling. Even now, I remember that, you know. So when you, when I did that, one is that I am obeying my parents and grandparents and they are so happy that I'm doing this every day. And the secondly, I had this uh, inner, uh, you know, satisfaction, a kind of, uh, you know, the joy that I'm doing something good in our own tradition. So that would, I would say that was my, you know, introduction into the bhakti towards our own deities and from the childhood. And uh, also, I mean, our culture probably is one of the richest cultures in uh, Nepal. And we also have uh, our own Ishta Devata, that is our own Kul Devata, and which was uh, very different than any other, you know, uh, the Sampradayas that we saw around. So it was, uh, again, um, very devotional, like during certain months, for whole month, my uh, parents, or male mother, uh, I mean, father or uncle, would get up early in the morning and sing these praises every day for the whole month. So I kind of grew up in that kind of uh, surrounding, which uh, can, my whole life was immersed into that, in a sense, when I come to Muktiveda and I read something like, you know, keep in step with the spirit, like, you know, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. You are always uh, walking in uh, the presence of God. And I had a very good, uh, you know, training in that. So you sit there to eat and uh, you don't just uh, eat, you offer it and uh, uh, then you eat, you know, everywhere, every corner, temples and shrines. I think that 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 is my you know, training in bhakti towards the Thank deity. You. Thank yeah. you, Doctor uh, Swesta. That's how uh, uh, interesting that your the, the initiation into bhakti was right in the cradle of your parents that they have used for you. And that's how you uh, 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 moved in. Dr. Echo, I know it's pretty early for you. We appreciate your... Coming straight to the, this this aspect, because you have lived 40 years plus here. You have uh, done a lot of research. You have yourself experienced that. What's your understanding of bhakti when you landed here in India and how, uh, or, or Nepal? And uh, what was in that time and what is now? How do you see uh, these two? Quickly... Uh, if you can lighten that area? Well, I think uh, we really should define Hindu traditions in terms of uh, bhakti. We commonly hear the three ways, the way of knowledge, the way of works, the way of devotion in any uh, any reading you do on Hindu traditions. But the way of knowledge is very elitist. Uh, very few would really claim that that's, that's their primary path for 
approach to uh, to God. The way of works is not even really clear what that means. The way of works traditionally was uh, the way of Vedic sacrifices, which is largely not practiced today. It's been uh, adjusted to mean the samskaras that the families go through, or even modernized into uh, social service. So everyone's involved with some matter of uh, theology or philosophy or knowledge, and everyone's involved with some acts, some works, particularly the samskaras. But bhakti is really the, the heart of, uh, of the Hindu traditions. What, what a Hindu knows they should be aspiring to is not to be a philosopher, but is to be a bhakt. It's to have that surrender to God, that heart of devotion to God. So uh, this is the center of, of everything. And this is, I think we, we can see pretty quickly also, this is the center of the Bible. The great command is to love God. The, the, the great concern of the Mukti Veda is the heart and the heart towards God in particular, which is uh, getting right to the uh, to the heart of what bhakti is is all about, and it's 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 a tragedy really that uh, Christianity has been expressed in India without a focus on bhakti. It's it's always there. It comes up, particularly from people like uh, Basanti from Hindu families. They they can't not express their faith to. Jesus to Muktinath in terms of bhakti, but uh, bhakti got uh, in in the missionary movement got labeled with uh, a false emotionalism and uh, was considered something not appropriate, and so it's not part of the standard Christian vocabulary. But it's what Hindus like when they meet devout Christians. Hindus recognize in a true disciple of Jesus, this is a bhakt. This is a devotee of God. This is someone surrendered to God. And that is the appeal. But we don't even recognize that enough ourselves to self-identify in that kind of way. So it, it's a rich and uh, important topic in many, many different directions. I'm grateful for this opportunity to uh, interact and share about it with all of you. Uh, thank you for bringing this. And uh, I need to uh, introduce uh, my uh, very important guest. A uh, person I have known him for uh, uh, over, a, over a half a decade now. Uh, so we welcome uh, Sri Hansaraj Jain from Sri Hansaraj Jain joins us from the Orange City, Nagpur. So Sri uh, Jain Ji has been working uh, uh, to fortify uh, and build marriages and families for many years, along with his late wife, uh, Sri Mati Kasturba Jain. Kasturba uh, Jain Ji left this world for her heavenly abode almost two years ago. They are blessed with son Prakash, who is doctor, daughter-in-law, also a doctor, and daughter Anu, who is an entrepreneur, and two grandchildren. He has been an advocate of first-generation back of Bhuktinath, the Yeshua, and their unique identity. So let's welcome uh, uh, Sri Hansarat Janji uh, into our midst. Uh, so you were a little late, so we began. But thank you for uh, joining us. Uh, the question that I was asking uh, to Dr. Vasant and Dr. Echum, uh, that bhakti, it, it's an expression of very intense emotional relationship. It's not emotional, but it's relationship of, uh, with God. What is your understanding of that? What's your experience that you grew up in a particular context and you believe in a particular way? How did you see the bhakti shaping your uh, allegiance and your, uh, uh, enabling you to express your to the Muktinath 
भक्ति मूवमेंट आई हैव बीन ब्रॉड अप सिंस बर्थ टू बी अ डिवोटेड जैन एंड हिंदूज ऑफ कोर्स हिंदुइज्म एज इन गॉड्स एंड गॉडेसेस एंड सो ऑन स्पेशली दोस हु हैड टू डू विद बिजनेसेस लाइक गणेशा और लक्ष्मी और दे वर पार्ट ऑफ आवर व्हाट यू कॉल पूजास एज वेल बट वी डिडंट कॉल आवरसेल्व्स एज हिंदूज वी कॉल्ड आवरसेल्व्स एज जैन्स भक्ति वी गोइंग टू टेंपल बीइंग डिवोटेड बीइंग uh steadfast to your religion and uh, following it and doing all the karmas that you have to do is how we understood and grew up as a jain doing good would deed uh, as a part of your karma to attain the whole notion is to attain uh to be able to reach and break away from this cyclical life uh is how we worked towards uh, this whole thing called as you call it bhakti or or that was the only element that perhaps was uh, uh practice in jainism and still does but bhakti itself is is uh, not a terribly old uh, movement maybe um as far as my reading goes it's a more uh, uh 8th century to 12th century where it became a popular movement and i think uh, ad 8th century to 12th now this is where the the notion of the the god as parmatma or param pitatma has also been introduced to us from there and again uh, the whole concept uh, what does it basically talk about my understanding of that is that bhakti opens the way of self immersion self immersion into what self immersion into being or uh, anything you love or immerse yourself into something that you devote your life to or your self to it could be attaining that devotion or to assist that devotion you may use a murti that is a statue or any other object uh, in order to to uh, devote yourself in order to show your love your primarily love so i i think this is where the whole thing is is all about and uh, bhakti is basically again Uh, attaining of that knowledge attaining of that understanding attaining of that enlightenment uh, through devotion the bhakti is only a means yeah, i i jain sir you you brought quite interesting points and i i think we'll explore in next uh, a few minutes on this almost kind of broken the patterns or broken some of those traditions and uh, uh, which were i mean and i think the medieval century we uh, era we we see quite a lot uh, so dr richard what's your reply, uh, point on this a uh, lot of things a lot of a uh, lot of different uh, strands come together there i mean hanshadji uh is uh is dating the uh, vernacular movements which is the reality the bhakti movements are vernacular movements and so what you sing in tamil or in marathi or in hindi is is in the uh, vernacular languages the the so so the, uh uh this is this is modern this is not ancient 
because all the vernaculars are are modern. So this is a late uh, development as far as that goes. However, it is is clearly rooted in the uh, Bhagavad Gita, uh, where where the, the Gita itself is a philosophical text, but it's a philosophy focused on bhakti, and it presents Krishna as the object of bhakti. Uh, but it's not a bhakti text as such, because bhakti texts are texts of worship and praise and surrender and submission. And uh, the Gita teaches that, but it teaches it as a teaching, not as a, not as something that you do. So uh, the roots of, of bhakti long predate the centuries when what we call the bhakti movements started to develop, first in the south, and uh, eventually all across India, all of the vernaculars have their, their well-known bhakti poets, and the bhakts sing those songs, and, and new songs are constantly being produced. So uh, this is very deep uh, in, in the psychology of people, and it's very deep in the uh, history of uh, the Indian traditions and the vernaculars as well, and it's very deep, again, in the in the Bible, in the Bible, in, in, in neither Hebrew nor Sanskrit do we have a term, Hebrew or Greek, a term that naturally is translated as bhakti. So you read the Bible, uh, and, and of course I don't know uh, the vernaculars, but for the most part, in English, you don't read about devotion when you read the Bible. There's, there's nothing like bhakti as such in terminology. And most of our vernacular translations in India as well don't have the term bhakti all through the text because there's there's not a Hebrew or Greek word that, that carries that meaning. That, to me, parallels the, the concept of faith in the Old and New Testament. You can read the whole Old Testament and really not see faith at all because it's very rarely there. Faith comes into focus through our Lord Jesus, through Muktinath, who constantly focused on faith. Uh, and then the Apostle Paul uh, found a few places in, in the Old Testament. He found that great statement of uh, where, where Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as uh, righteousness. So the concept was there, but it wasn't explicit there. It wasn't focused on anywhere in the Old Testament. Then you get to Hebrews chapter 11, and it's just thrown out to you. The whole Old Testament is about faith. How can you not see everything in the Old Testament is about faith? The word may not be there, but that's clearly what it is all about. And that, to me, is the reality of bhakti. The entire Old Testament is about bhakti. The entire New Testament is about bhakti. You don't need the word there. The whole Bible is about the Trinity. But we don't have the word Trinity anywhere in the Bible. And the whole Bible is about bhakti, that heart response to God. But we don't have that word as such uh, appearing in the text. That's just the uh, complications, the dynamics of language, and it should not stumble us. Uh, we should not miss the centrality of bhakti in both Old and, uh, and New Testaments. Thank you, Dr. Richard. I think uh, you've you a really interesting point that's uh, the whole aspect of Trinity and uh, uh, as a leader that you have been uh, uh, communicating as an academician as well, you're also a practitioner. Uh, how have you communicated uh, this whole the devotion uh, to Muktinath? It's very difficult to actually translate the whole bhakti in, uh, uh, to write, form a right word. I was trying to figure out, it's a more of devotional journey. How do you uh, communicate 
it's a, a one concept but what are the uh, uh, expression of uh, of the bhakti uh, or adoration uh, earning a, a devotional earning to god uh, that you uh, use 100%. Yes. Um, again, I go back to my early days uh, when I was seeking uh, for the truth. Uh, growing up in a very rich uh, kind of a religious tradition, and then uh, I had a kind of uh, emptiness within me, and I really wanted to know this Paramatma, the highest God, you know. And there's a long story, and that led me to. Uh, the Muktinath uh, came to know the Lord. And uh, during that time, uh, Nepal was a close, I mean, close to the gospel. Um, the churches were underground. Um, so when I uh, found the fellowship there, it was very much like, you know, uh, kind of contextual. They, they would sit on the floor and um, sit around in a small group and sing bhajans. So there was not much of a kind of a, a difference in a sense. But of course, I I miss a lot of the elements that I would have enjoyed in my expression of bhakti. But whatever was there, it was not so much foreign. But then when I came to Bangalore for my theological education, that is when I had a shock, uh, you know, of a different kinds. And to know that uh, Christian, uh, Christianity has uh, different divisions, Catholics and Protestants and all this. So this was like a real uh, confusing time for me. And uh, as I started to study theology and that uh, kind of took me almost like, you know, away from my own uh, expression and I had to learn new vocabulary and new ways of doing things, new ways of, you know. So, and uh, because I was just a baby in, uh, in the Lord, you know, in my faith. So I thought, this is it. You know, this is how you uh, grow and you express uh, in uh, Christianity. So that was my understanding. And I, I went through the whole process. And um, so later on, when I started to encounter some of these articles and doing research, uh, that's when I was kind of really, again, kind of, I had a, you know, comeback moment. Oh, is that so? Can we uh, retain some of our, uh, you know, the, the expressions and our vocabulary and uh, the ways that we do things and which is ingrained in our uh, being, you know, so it is so uh, inherent. And then uh, when I saw some of these things and I coming to coming in contact with uh, Swamiji, Dhananda Bharati and reading the writings of uh, Dr. H.L. Richards. And I, I really thank God for Dr. H.L. Richards. He, uh, I, I, I mean, he has really done a lot of research and done a, I, I don't know how many people are being impacted and influenced uh, by his writing. So that is my turning point. And since then, uh, I've been really consciously uh, trying to, uh, you know, bring back, I didn't have to learn much, in a sense, I grew up in, you know, I, I had a training of uh, bhakti and uh, expression, bhajan. I mean, we could just, 
you know, utter four names of deity and uh, spend the whole night singing that bhajan, you know, and not even one moment you feel like lethargic and sleepy and oh, boring. No, that that happens sometimes in the church, but not there. I mean, just uh, I'm I'm sure you you uh, familiar with that bhajan, you know, that uh, Hare Rama Hare Krishna movement. Just that words. And you kind of, you are transported to, you know, a different uh, world. And uh, so that expression comes from within. So, and since then, I've been really trying to do this. And, but it's very, very difficult for me because of, you know, where I am. And when I was in SABC, uh, Southern Asia Bible College, teaching their missions related courses. And that's the time I got the opportunity to do my doctoral program. And there I focused my research on how to, you know, communicate the gospel to our Hindu friends in a very contextual way. So that was my research. And I began teaching the class in the, in the college. And uh, we can imagine, you know, we had a mixed, you know, uh, mixed uh, response from uh, people, those who are traditionals, you know, they would not really understand what is happening but then, since then, yes, I've been, uh, even now, when I'm in the, uh, involved in the church, I do have uh, satsang and bhajans in... Uh, uh, Dr. Basant, uh, uh, I, I was just caught up with your point that you're saying that Bhakta Muktina, the Yeshua, what happens? Why, instead of bringing that, it says, uh, it's, it's supposed to be reconciliation work. It's a bhakti, that bhakti to Yeshua is... It's a bhakti, it's an expression of the, the act of reconciliation. But why entry of that divides a family? What are the, some of the challenges? Let me go to uh, uh, Sri Janji to, uh, uh, to find some response on, uh, on this challenge. Why allegiance to Christ brings deep disunity or breaks a family? Why can't we coexist? Mr. Janji. Thank you, Chakrapaniji. Uh, There are a couple of things uh, here uh, which I would like to say. But before that, I do want to say this. I believe that bhakti as in singing, devotion and all of that is a tool to uh, express one's feeling for God. But they are definitely not the means to attain one's salvation. Um, I I do not uh, think that is uh, the way. The way is only through gift that God has given to us. Uh, freely through his son Jesus who's died on for a cross. Having said that, coming to your question, um, first thing, uh, why do our people respond so negatively to our association with Jesus Christ or Bhaktinath as you call him? Yeah, Bhaktinath uh, as you call him. Number one, I think it's a cultural mindset. When I first uh, encountered my family after having had an encounter, personal, very personal encounter with Christ, uh, which made me his follower. Their first reaction was, so you have joined lower caste people and you have brought disgrace to our community. So the caste system came to play here. Number two, while caste system came into play and my, my understanding was that I never became a Christian, but I became a follower of Christ, just as my other brothers and so on, they have chosen some other gurus or the other, uh, did not make any difference to them. But the association, what it signified to them was untouchability, was uh, lower caste and disgrace. 
So there is that classification that came into play and that's what made them very unhappy. Second, the rumors that have been spread among our community, among our people is what does it mean to become a Christian is is what is being talked about. It's not, it is dharam parivartan rather than atma parivartan is what they're talking about here. So when it's a dharam parivartan, that means it's a betrayal of the whole family, whole tradition, uh, all of your uh, elders and others who have gone before you and are there right now practicing within that. And uh, salvation is also available in, in your own faith. Why is it that you have to go through something else that is so untouchable, that is brought in from abroad, and uh, is foreigner and why do you have to become anti uh, community anti family and why do you not listen to us the problem third problem that arises from this is that the exclusive claims of jesus uh, over against the claims of other gods and goddesses and gurus that's where the conflict also begins we are word of god centered people as uh, followers of jesus christ and this is where the word of god where it says that jesus is the only way the truth and the life that there is salvation in no one else except in jesus christ that they find very difficult but if i say no jesus is one of the gods and therefore i will uh, they are, they have no problems in amalgamating him uh, along with others the impact of your social life impact of your attitude impact of that on your value system impact of that what you will do and not do uh, unfortunately uh, does not uh, buy uh, acceptance into the family now i i cannot explain to you what kind of life i lived before i became a follower of christ but my family did and when they saw that after i had become follower of christ my life had so drastically changed in terms of behavior relationship attitude and uh, a lot of my uh, personal struggles had uh, been resolved and i and i had a developed a new attitude altogether they couldn't believe what had happened to me they said have you been brainwashed uh, and what's going on here so those are those are the some of the aspects that uh, uh, they found difficult and i was so arrogant uh, i was so arrogant that uh, everything that they did i looked at from my perspective of the demon versus the true god and everything they did i thought the demonic and therefore i spelt it that way i said it that way and uh, i behaved that way and i rejected anything to do with uh, even uh, i couldn't separate uh, differentiate between social cultural uh, norms over against religious cultural norms and uh, i think that, that is where i made a lot of mistakes and enemies and i found rejection and uh, i found violence uh, uh, at home thank you sir i i think uh, you you have expressed so well and uh, some of the challenges why uh, uh, this you brought a uh, few very interesting point one is that uh, it's a community aspect of our uh, where we are of a follower of muktinath back home uh, once encounters and the relationship with the community the family and also this whole aspect of exclusivity of, uh, or the object of worship versus the method of worship how would you uh, deal with this with all of this uh, is following christ uh, antithesis to a coexistence or is a coexistence of well that's uh, a lot of different uh, angles to to approach that 
and uh, many followers of Jesus have taken many different approaches to that. I think pretty much all the followers of, of Jesus from deeply Hindu families still feel a Hindu identity, no matter how deeply they go into church and Christianity, because that, that is their roots. And they recognize that Hindu is not mainly a theological system. When you become a follower of Jesus, you have to have a change of theology because it's all about Jesus and who he is. And uh, I, I would just want to affirm Hansraj Ji that well, you're not saved by bhakti. Bhakti is not some kind of work that gets you somewhere. Neither is faith. You're not saved by your faith. You're only saved by God. You're only saved by the grace of God. And how do we connect to God? We connect to God by faith, which basically is nothing. What is faith? It's, it's not anything that I can do. It is, it is only receiving the grace of God. And bhakti is very much the same. Bhakti is surrender. Bhakti is recognizing. I am hopeless. I am helpless. Only God can save me. So in that sense, bhakti saves us because it casts us on God, who is the only savior. So this is not works. And again, the corruption of the human heart, we, we're always going to create works. And we have this problem in Christian history that faith itself becomes a work that, uh, that saves and that is a uh, very uh, false theology that is not in the uh, in the scriptures. But bhakti, uh, Hindus recognize bhakti. Uh, I would say the biggest difference uh, in in our biblical understanding of bhakti and the way Hindus look at bhakti is that for for many Hindus, bhakti itself is what matters. And it can be bhakti to Krishna. It can be bhakti to Ram. It can be bhakti to Shiv. It can be bhakti to Sai Baba can be bhakti to unknown god, unnamed god, uh, in, in the uh, nirgun bhakti traditions. Uh, and, and what is important is the bhakti. And in, in uh, Muktiveda, is the complete opposite. The only thing that matters is the object. The only thing that matters is Lord Jesus Christ. The only thing that matters is God as revealed in the Bible. Our bhakti doesn't really even matter. That object is what matters. <clears throat> and so the, the Hindus look at us and they like us. Oh, you're a bhakti. You have that bhakti. That is the important thing, is the bhakti. And that is not how we view it, because bhakti itself is not the reality. The reality is God and his grace. So tensions and different understandings definitely come into play. But uh, the, the, the uh, offensiveness to the family is a, is a massive problem. And uh, we need to study deeply why the family is so offended by the disciple of Jesus. And in most cases, it's not about the theology. It's about the sociology, as Hansraj G said. It's about, oh, you've abandoned our people and you've gone to those people who are low-caste background people. Why would you do that? Those people have so many problems. Yes, we also have so many problems, but there are problems. You belong to us. Why are you abandoning us there? It's the sociological change that is a problem. And then the arrogance or perceived arrogance. Hans Rajji said he was arrogant. And that is a massive problem. We teach the new believer to act in arrogant ways towards their family and towards their heritage. And that is, a, that is our problem. That is our, our sin. And when the, the Hindu Jain family reacts against that, how else are they supposed to react? They're, they're reacting in the only way they can react, the only natural way to react. We need to teach deeper humility and uh, deeper submission to parents. Someone coming to, to Christ should be more deeply surrendered 
to more deeply submissive to their families, more deeply appreciative of their heritage, uh, honor father and mother in, in the pattern of the Sermon on the Mount, where our Lord takes murder and says, don't look at murder as killing someone. Murder is an attitude of the heart. Murder is getting angry, and he stretches out and internalizes the meaning of the Ten Commandments. He takes six different commandments and illustrates how to do that. He doesn't take honor father and mother, but that is how we have to read honor father and mother. And when we deepen and internalize honor father and mother, it clearly means honor your cultural heritage. But that is not taught in any church to someone from Hindu Jain background. That is the word of God to Handrachi. Honor your Jain heritage. If he had been taught that from day one, how different things might have been in his family. There still would have been problems and tensions for sure. But if they recognize this person is honoring our heritage, it's going to change that atmosphere from the arrogance that that heritage is all wrong. And now I have found the only light and the only truth. That is not a biblical way to think. That is not a biblical way to live. And the family, of course, is going to react against that. And now we have a heritage of hundreds of years of that pattern. And so all you have to do is uh, carry a Bible into a Hindu home and they'll start to panic because they know where the Bible comes, Jesus comes, conversion comes, and shame and disgrace comes on our family and on our heritage. I don't know how we're going to break that, but we have to break that. That, that is our biggest problem. Richard, you have, uh, you have really uh, addressed uh, quite, these are the, comp- I know, the complex, as I said, we can spend days and still be, we, we may not be able to scratch the surface. That because of the exclusive nature that we, we, we have of a God, and because of that exclusivity, once we live with a common culture, the whole aspect of syncretism comes. I, I know it is uh, being addressed by various ways. And since this uh, uh, term is common, which is, which is a quite a debatable term, uh, if you go back to the whole uh, aspect of whole biblical text, how it has moved from and adopted various uh, cultural expressions and examples. And in that regard, can we use this Indian bhakti songs to worship Bhagavan Muktinath? And how to deal with this whole syncretism on this? Well, syncretism in the social sciences is just a neutral term for the mixing of traditions. It's only in evangelical Christianity that we make that a dark term. And so we talk about contextualization is the right way to mix cultural realities. And syncretism is the wrong way to mix cultural realities. But the mixing of cultural realities has to happen. Uh, just just linguistically, it has to happen. And uh, in life, it is always going to happen. Uh, and, and so uh, I think we should recognize that when we use that term in a negative sense, that is our own peculiar evangelical reading of that. And the, the meaning of the term and the, the in the social sciences uh, it, it's not a negative term. It, it's just uh, that that is what happens. Uh, the the alternative term that is is uh, has become very popular, and I think we should adopt is hybridity. Everything is hybrid. Can you repeat that, sir? Hybridity. We are all hybrids. I can't live in India forty years and not be impacted, and not be hybrid, not be in some ways Hindu, because that is where I've been living and studying for uh, all of these decades. And, and so we're, all of us are hybrid productions, and modernity is making us even more hybrid than, uh, than in the, the older days. And I think we need to just embrace hybridity and not worry about it. We need to worry about 
being faithful to the Bible, being faithful to Jesus, no doubt about that. But we, we, we tend to be overly conservative. We haven't talked about language yet. I'm just going to throw that out here as, a, as something that really, uh, really bothers me. We, we have become very tied to the language of the Bible. And when you study the language of the Bible, in North and South India, we use different terms for God. Everyone is aware of that, but no one ever thinks through the repercussions of that. In, in South India, Deva, as the root word used for God in all the South Indian Bible translations, William Carey very explicitly said, that is a terrible word that cannot be used in the Bible and used Ishwar and Parmeshwar. Whereas in South India, you can get the statements right there. I'll send them if someone wants them of missionaries, academics saying, we cannot use that word Ishwar for God. It is an impossible term. It is a tainted term that cannot be put in the Bible. But Kerry put that in the Bible, and that's what we use all across North India. Whereas in South India, we use Deva. But in South India, they don't want to use any other term but Deva because that is the Bible term. And in North India, no one wants to move. No one wants to use Bhagwan. No one wants to use Paramatma. These are not Bible terms. Well, Deva is also not a Bible term. If we're only going to use Bible terms, then we have to speak Greek and Hebrew, which is going against the Bible itself because the Bible itself is translated. The New Testament doesn't quote Hebrew words. It quotes the Greek translation of the Old Testament terms. So we are about translation, but we need to free ourselves up to use more Hindu terminology. Now, Again, this has to be thought through carefully. It has to be practiced carefully. I don't think we should use the names of the gods where there's whole theology, mythology developed around Shiv. And the, the South Indian problem with Ishra was Ishra was seen as Shiv. Ishra means Shiv. That's why we cannot put it in the Bible. But that uh, it may be true of some varieties of Hindus. It's not true of all varieties of Hindus. And now for Christians, Ishra means the God of the Bible. In North India. So, but Hindus, Hindus have multiple terminologies and uh, Christians are very tied and to the terminology that got put into the Bible, which is all also Hindu terminology. Uh, and so we become uh, people who speak dialects, Christianized dialects of all of the languages. And we need to start listening to Hindus and talking the language of Hindus. And it's going to vary. There's not a Hindu way of speaking Tamil. There's not a Hindu way of speaking Hindi, Marathi, Bengali, because you have different Hindu traditions in all of the vernacular groups that use the terms in different ways with different shades of meanings and have their own preferred way of speaking about God. And we should be flexible to, to use all those various terminologies when we're talking to different people. And in Jesus movements, which hopefully will develop, they're going to use different terms for God. Why should that be a problem? There's The Chinese use a different term, Africans different terms, English speakers, German speakers. There are so many different terms used for God around Thank the world. You, Why not have many terms in our Indian vernaculars? Thank you, Dr. Richard. I think you have, uh, you have uh, really challenged us about the or expression, expressing the allegiance to God. Or is there a prescription of the language, of the posture, or of the attitude? Uh, I'll go to first to Basan, Bhai, and then I'll go to Sijayanji, and then I'll give time to uh, uh, Dr. Richard. So, Basan. Yes, my 
own journey and uh, experience is that, uh, and also I just hinted that in my previous uh, answer that yes, there is a prescription that is allow them to use their own terms and uh, patterns and expressions, um, you know, in their own, because uh, Hinduism or India is so diverse. Uh, Even in the same city, we have different communities and their expressions are different. So yes, in that sense, we need to go there, study and guide them to use those expressions and uh, uh, language and whatever, you know, in a way that uh, uh, they will be free to express that bhakti towards uh, Muktinath. And uh, another uh, another way of looking at it is, yes, we cannot prescribe one pattern, one way, and uh, one kind of language because it differs from one community to the other community, one language to the other language. So, uh, the, the I mean, it's, it's, you know, when we look at the Mukti Veda, Bible itself, God comes down to this world and he doesn't bring anything from heaven. I mean, even he, he doesn't uh, bring his name. I mean, what is the name of God? There is no name. You know, he says, I am that I am. That is I am. You know, so, and then he takes all the human, you know, uh, practices of sacrifice and circumcision and tabernacle and all these things that was already there among people, the holy place. And so he is taking those things and communicating his message through the means that they are always already utilizing. So in that sense, thank you. Yes. Thank you, Dr. Prasad. Since the yeah. time is, let, let me go to Dr. Uh, uh, Sri Jainza. And uh, uh, Jainza, your one minute. The sacredness of God and his holiness is what drives a Jain to uh, worship mode, and that is taking up shoes, having a bath before going into the temple and offering whatever we have to offer. But that is not prescriptive, as in uh, that uh, it has to be done by uh, everybody. But that is the way they, the Jains uh, honor and respect God for who he is. And I feel that that is the lesson for all of us. And that is that uh, in whatever way we can show and demonstrate our uh, humility before King of Kings and Lord of Lords in his holiness and worship him. I think that is the best mode prescriptive for everybody. Uh, I know a number of people who kneel down and pray. I know a number of people. I know a a lady who used to relax on a Sunday on her armchair and sit out and uh, worship the Lord. And I was shocked because uh, that's not the Jain tradition that I grew up with. But she said to me, he's my father. I'm just speaking to my father. I'm relaxed in his presence. So I think to prescribe somebody and hold them to that is uh, something that uh, uh, the only criteria ought to be that God is holy, God is almighty, and let's respect him for who he is when we enter into his presence. Thank you, sir. Uh, coming to Dr. Richard. Dr. Richard, if you did not respond to my other question the last time I asked, can I use the songs of uh, the poets that in Indian subcontinent during Bhakti Boom and the Road? Uh, some of them are to, devoted to the names and some of them are not. Um, I just, uh, first fully affirm what uh, Andraji just said. Uh, it's, it's fundamentally about the attitude of the heart. The attitude of the heart is the main thing. And, and in the Bible, there's so little about ritual. The Bible, of course, the Old Testament gives an elaborate ritual preparing for the New Testament. 
But there's nothing about how to do a wedding. There's nothing about how to do a funeral. There's nothing about how to do a baptism. Uh, the, the Bible doesn't care about these things. Uh, the Bible cares about the attitude of the heart. Now, of course, there are oppressive things, and there are, are things that uh, disgrace God. Those things are out. No, no question about that. But broadly, the Bible cares about the attitude and not about the uh, expression. And so we need to be more free in, uh, in uh, dealing with different terminologies, different expressions, different styles of worship. And definitely many of the uh, bhakti songs be sung by the follower of Jesus. But everyone has to be looked at carefully. Some of them are celebrating the particular mythology of a god. Those we are not going to be able to take. But we have to be very careful about shifting out the name of a god and putting in a generic word for god or putting in the name of Jesus uh, because that, I think, does get very close to inappropriate appropriating. And uh, But again, for someone who is Hindu to do that, it probably is not going to be a, a problem. For an outsider like me to do that would definitely be a problem. So all of these things are contextual and sensitive, and uh, we need humility before people, and particularly people who are not in Christ. We don't emphasize the importance of our humility, and we need an attitude of humility and reverence towards the holy God, as uh, Hans Ji has just said. And then we don't worry so much about the forms. There's nothing in the Bible that says a bride must wear white. Let the bride wear red or whatever the you, bride sir. in that culture is wearing. Thank you, sir. I know it's very important, but since the, the, for the sake of the time that we have to close this session today, but what we have picked up today, what we have learned from these learned people and people who have walked with God in, in, in different uh, in, in number of years, what matters to worship God, what matters to a bhakta, uh, 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 to, uh, to, to have his adoration, her adoration to God, is attitude of heart. And that's what it matters. It's his heart is important. And most of these bhakti songs burst out of heart and heart condition. And it's very important for us to recognize that knowing the truth is important because the truth sets us free. Truth does not bind us in another types of traditions and cage or of prison. Know the truth, you shall know the truth and truth set you free. And I think that's what uh, uh, comes together today with uh, this hour and a half conversation. Thank you so very much for joining us this evening. Thank you, uh, Dr. Richard, from joining us early morning at four o'clock, uh, Dr. Basan and uh, uh, Dr. and Sri Jainza. And thank you all uh, who have logged into to this wonderful conversation. So we meet again. Uh, we will uh, uh, we'll continue to discuss on these uh, uh, subjects. And uh, the question that you have been, uh, have been asked have not been answered will be discussed during the uh, our time when we launched the discussion board. And it's amazing to engage and converse and learn together, to worship the God who has created us and this universe, the Muktinath who, who deliver us. And we can sing song the way Mother Mary sang, with uh, coming out of heart. And I think that's what we have learned today. Thank you once again for joining us together uh, for this wonderful conversation. Thank you to my panelists and the entire team of Satsambar.